and welcome to Cookie Pocket. This podcast is about film. And we have four voices here. Oh my goodness. We have Dylan from the Bargain Binge Podcast. Yeah. Hi, Hi, that's me from the Bargain Binge Podcast. (laughs) We do Hello. movies too, and uh, I heard you guys do movies, so I said, uh, "Yeah, wow, they need me. I'm going to be the best host, a guest host that uh, they'll ever have." So that's the best yeah. conclusion you could have drawn. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> also, Zach and Christian are here, but we don't care about them. Yeah, no, we do not. Uh, today we are discussing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It is a 1988 live-action animated comedy mystery film thingy. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, animated by Richard Williams, produced by Frank Marshall, Robert Watts, and Spielberg, and loosely based on the book, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, by Gary K. Wolf. Uh, it takes place in 1947 Hollywood and follows Eddie Valiant, a private investigator that has to exonerate Roger Rabbit, a toon accused of murder. So what do you all think about the film? Oh. Well, just overall. Um, I, so I mentioned this before we started recording, Mitchell, but... I thought that I had seen this before. I, I like had very specific memories of, of chunks of it, but when I started watching it, I recognized that I probably didn't because there were big swathes of this movie that I did not remember at all. Wow. Um, and I, I enjoyed the film. Um, I think that uh, I think that at the beginning, the cartoon humor and the slapstick didn't quite work for me, but by the end, it. <laughs> It really started to work, and I really started to enjoy the, the cartoon slapstick, the kind of Chuck Jones-style cartoon humor. Um, but I also really appreciate, and I mentioned this in my Letterboxd review, I really appreciate how this movie's noir plot, it pretty much takes that seriously throughout the entirety of the film. All those noir beats are there, and it plays those pretty straight. And really the only humorous aspect for a lot of the time is that cartoons happen to be the characters involved in that noir plot. Which I think is is really funny, because a lot of the time, the funniest thing that you can do is act like there isn't a joke. Uh, I think there's also some fantastic special effects, some fantastic merging of animation with live action, which was pretty groundbreaking at the time this film came out. And uh, overall, I, I would say that I would give it a, a solid 3 out of 5. I think it's a very enjoyable film, but I do think there are some places where that cartoon kind of slapstick movement doesn't quite mesh with the, the human action as well as maybe it was envisioned as, as doing, uh, which I think does hold back some of the humor in action occasionally. Yeah, I pretty much agree. Um, I watched this on Disney plus of all places that this movie could possibly stream Disgusting. on. Could you believe that? Um, <laughs> I, I can't, yeah. I can't trust someone that would do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I probably deserve that um but you know i enjoy this film um this is my second time watching it i think i had seen this at some point in middle or high school and enjoyed it and uh, i think i probably enjoyed it less but appreciated it more this time around uh, i i very much agree with zach which is rare so i'm, I'm really going to going to enjoy it um <laughs> i i think that uh I, I had a similar issue with the slapstick. Like it took me a little bit for that to settle and kind of work. And, um, but, but obviously the merging of, of animation and live action is, is pretty amazing. And what what I noticed more this time around is not so much like the characters themselves being in, in a live scene, but um, the sort of spaces between whether 
it's an animated character holding a sort of real world object or sitting on a chair that moves or something um like uh i want to say daffy duck's stool in the in the piano number is like moving very raucously but it's not animated so the little little things like that uh really stuck out to me in, in a good way and um yeah it's it's a solid plot it's it's fun i enjoyed it um i gave it a three out of five it might deserve more but uh a three is is a, a film i liked for me so thumbs up am i supposed to go now yeah no, you no. can't even like yeah <laughs> okay give it to him. all right well, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it a million times. I think it is a masterpiece. It is uh, Zemeckis at the top of his game. And really, you can't really say it's just Zemeckis who directed it because Richard Williams had such a big hand in the how the animation was brought into it and the animated parts. And so Richard Williams and Zemeckis at the top of their game I think it's just delightful. The animation combined with a real world, like you said, it hasn't been done before. Hasn't been done like that since. It's just really impressive. Like the amount of uh, handcrafted detail that goes into it because like, you know, they didn't have computer tracking and everything. So it was all matted by hand, frame by frame over top of just uh, stills from the movie. And it was just so, there's just so much, uh, craft involved and it's just amazing i love the characters because who free because because roger rabbit basically is just supposed to be a stand-in for like the every cartoon and i feel like for that he comes mm-hmm. across as a pretty good uh character he's a uh, he's likable uh, bob hoskins is absolutely amazing in this movie and uh like you said taking the other stuff that isn't cartoon seriously it is very important and Bob Hoskins really brings the gravitas that is necessary. Like it wouldn't work without his performance. And uh, it's just really a bunch of great people coming together to make a fantastic movie. I give this a five out of five easy any day. Wow. I'm, I'm more in the Dylan camp here. Okay. <laughs> Dylan gang rise. Um, gang. I gave this a four out of five. <laughs> Um, I love this movie. Um, I've seen this five or six times. Um, I've seen it as a kid. I've seen it as uh, a slightly older kid. I've seen it as an adolescent. I've seen it as a teenager, and I've seen it now. And um, I've liked it as much as I did the first time I saw it. Um, There is so much to like in this as a child and as an adult. Um, There's a lot of themes to appreciate, a lot of risque humor that is like just hits the mark perfectly. It's like perfect. I know it's I think it's PG, but it's really PG-13 humor. Um, that's, that's pretty, I mean, it's pretty universally understood. It's like, it's, it's kind of reminds me of SpongeBob in a lot of ways because SpongeBob always has those, those specific episodes that are like, have jokes that are both understood by children and by adults. And that's kind of like a brand of humor that's extremely hard to execute properly. And I think this film does it pretty well. I mean, I know there's a few jokes that are like either overdone or just, you know, just don't hold up very well over time or things like that. Um, But overall, I mean, I have very little complaints. I just think that mixing tunes with real life characters is, is such an amazing idea. I don't, I believe it's an original idea necessarily, but this is, this is it. Like, this is what you should be watching if you want that idea seen and fully realized. I mean, this is just um, like Dylan had said, I mean, Zemeckis and um, Williams are like two best people for this and they'd worked perfectly together. They had, 
a clear vision and they they were constantly battling with with corpo trying to make sure they got their vision realized <laughs> um and i think it works awesome i i just there's so there's so little i have really to criticize except like maybe the ending i think christopher lloyd kind of overdoes it a little bit um oh. as a villain and i do feel like I do feel like okay, all right. I, I like down. him as a villain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for for me, I think he kind of overdoes it a little bit, but it does play into the tone and to the themes well, so it's not not a huge deal to me. And then Roger Rabbit is also kind of controversial in terms of how bombastic he is and how you know exaggerated he is with everything. Understanding, of course, that's the point of his character. I mean, mm-hmm. like Dylan said, that's like he represents every average cartoon character. Um, and, but overall, I don't think, I think the pacing's done perfectly. I think the cameos are not overused. That's a very easy thing to fall for, um, is just to overuse those very, very iconic characters in this. And they, they're paced, you know, perfectly well. And I don't know, I think, and the film, the, the noir setting is relatively, you know, uniquely used. Um, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a standard plot, but there's so much going on outside of it and the tunes being involved in it just makes it so much more interesting. So I gave it a four out of five. I think it's a really great movie, and I highly recommend it. But um, my, this goes on to my first question. Uh, so it's the only time to date the characters from Walt Disney and Warner Brothers have appeared together on screen. <laughs> yeah. um, also, this is the most expensive film produced in the 80s at roughly $70 million to produce. Uh, 326 animators worked full-time, drawing a total of 82,080 frames. Uh, animation director Richard Williams estimates that well over one million drawings were done for the movie. So how does the mixing of human and tunes impact your enjoyment of the film? And do you think it's idea that stays fresh or wears thin, uh, uh, ultimately? Well, I don't um, think it wears... Those numbers are crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it wears thin at all. I, I think... Um... I think the the appreciation of that mesh between the tunes and the people is something that's uh, you can appreciate that regardless of when you're watching it, whether it's the '80s or whether it's now. Because, uh, like you and Dylan both pointed out, th- this is a thing that's been done a couple different times in in film, but I don't think it's been done anywhere as well as it's been done here. I mean, either even later films like uh, Cool World Space, or Space Jam, Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, which which do have that same we're combining real people with animated worlds like they don't have they they it doesn't feel like they exist in the same world like it does here like uh there are so many moments here where roger will interact with something in the real world entirely naturally he'll he'll spit out real water or he'll make a real splash in the sink and you just you i feel like you don't get that real tactile feeling of a mix between the two in, in later films that use the same idea, and in earlier films that use the same idea. Ch- charming as the technique may be in, in older movies, like, I, I was going to say Song of the South. S- Song of the South isn't really charming, but oh, Zippity Doodah is, is charming. Um, oh. But anyway, getting out of that hole. Um, but I, I think that's vital, because it, it's I think in order to believe this plot and be carried along by this plot, you need to be convinced of the mixing of those two worlds, and that it's entirely normal for a person just to walk by a tune in day-to-day life. And if that felt like an unusual or unnatural thing, and it felt like they didn't mesh as well as they do here, I don't think that theme and the the feeling of pre-existing relationships between the, between the characters would come across nearly as well. Uh, so I, I do think that that mixing of animation and, and live action is 
very much has an effect on how you enjoy the film, and I think it's pulled off brilliantly. Yeah, I think I think that uh, I mean a huge part of it is the directing from Zemeckis specifically, because he went into it and he was like, "I'm not going to shoot this like oh we're gonna, we have to like put in a cartoon later. I'm going to shoot this like a real movie. There's constantly tracking shots. There's pans all over the place, and there's constant like lights moving around, and you know that's all things you have to keep in mind." when you're actually animating and just not showing your limits and not limiting yourself, I guess is really what it is, is really what brings it together. I think, because I mean, the famous scene is the one where uh, Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit are uh, in the hiding room at the, uh, at the bar and the light gets knocked and it starts swinging around. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the famous thing that everyone talks about, and I guess I'm doing that now, but uh, it's like, it is so hard to do shading like that with traditional hand-drawn and painted cell animation. And like the fact, they didn't have to do that. But, um, and also this is shot by uh, Dean Cundey, one of the best cinematographers of all time. And uh, he does such a great job making the palette this place for the animation to dance around on like it's mostly muted and playing up the uh, noir setting and everything so the animation really pops in a way that is effective too so i just it's the combination of pretty much everyone working together very well it's a lot of talent yeah and i never feel like the animation really destabilizes that noir setting at all like it, it pretty much always feels natural and i think maybe part of that meshing is uh, even though you're accepting these tunes as like part of the the real world, there's no attempt to sort of reconcile how toony they are or how two dimensional or or unrealistic they might be in in a normal uh, animated film. They they literally are just presented as they are, and it's accepted. And instead of that ever feeling like dated or like the effect looks uh, unreal or aged, it's just the tunes are literally the tunes. So it's not like it, it will never be like a, a dated CGI effect because it, it literally just is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and any shortcoming in terms of realism is because they are that cartoon and, yeah. and that's just how it is in the world. So that's, I think a really clever um, in, in the story and, and in the setting justification for the way that they look and act. And um, yeah, you guys basically covered it. It's on a technical level, extremely impressive and um, pretty much always works and I think is used just the right amount. I, I just want to also add um, what brings you into the movie really is the opening short with Roger Rabbit yeah. and oh, uh, yeah. Baby yeah. Huey. Uh, and um, what's, is that his name? What's... Herman. Uh, Baby Herman. Herman. Baby Herman. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, the opening scene with uh, Roger and Baby Herman is just like, that's just Richard Williams like letting wild and that, being so like it's one of the best cartoons i've ever seen it's so well animated but that brings you into it and then the transition of it turns out that they're shooting that in real life like with a camera and that's been done in many movies but i've never seen it done in a way that's so effective and funny yeah and i do like how there's a real stylistic shift as soon as you find out it's being filmed with a camera on an actual set because in the cartoon like that the perspective is going all over the place and we're whipping all over the kitchen and the perspective is insane the angles that it's pointing down and then as soon as it's revealed to be a set you cut to this 
kind of sort of locked off shot that slowly eases backward and it starts to become a much more almost human feeling uh, scene as we move yeah. into that live action human world. And I love all the gags in that scene. Like uh, there's like a guy wearing like stilts that look like the woman in the cartoons legs. <laughs> yeah. And there's just like a bunch of little details like that. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, you guys pretty much covered everything. Um, I do want to mention the objects, the 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 tune objects. They they went full on like the tunes using physical objects, and then humans using tune objects, especially with Bob Hoskins ah. at the very end. Um, and they just completely just did not care. They were like, we have to use everything. <laughs> so he was like, you know, the, you had a, the mixture of Christopher Lloyd's character becoming a tune. And, like, you know, the mixture of that and the saw. And I'd be like, wow, 3D glasses would make this look really cool right now kind of scene. <laughs> and then the hammer um, and things like that. And just, you know, the, the everything being so exaggerated in the noir setting is great. I've, like, I've never seen anything like that before. And there's really – it can never really be replicated again. Um, but you guys pretty much covered that. So, well, yeah. yeah. Technical achievement. What were you going to say, Zach? I was just going to say I'm, I'm kind of jumping forward to – I might be touching on something we might discuss later here, but the, you mentioning Bob Hoskins and his his tune gun, I, I really do like the the introduction of of that aspect because before that, I don't think we've seen a live action person interact with a tune object. Uh, you guys might be able to correct me on this, um, but you, you as he's going in the tune world, you see him interact like he puts down his live action gun and he moves over to the tune gun which I think provides a different kind of experience in the scene. And then also, I, I just, I love the way that that scene is written, because with the way that he interacts with the bullets in the case, mm -hmm. um, like, I'm immediately invested in this relationship between Bob Hoskins and his gun, and it's like, <laughs> and Sam, it's 15 yeah. seconds, yeah. <laughs> you, you just mentioned scenes, and that's something I wanted to bring up while we were talking, is this yeah. movie... Because something that doesn't get talk about, talked about enough with movies is how important a scene is. And I feel like that just shows the talent of everyone so well in this movie specifically. Because each scene plays out so well. Like it is, Each one is like a cartoon in itself. Has the perfect yeah. build and payoff and then cool down. And then it always leads very well into the next scene. And that's something that uh, shows the talent of the director the actors knowing where they are, what they need to do. And then editing the editing in this movie is also fantastic. And that's really important with animation because you got to get that edit down. So you're not drawing like extra frames. And there's like a deleted scene in this movie where, uh, like you said, Bob Hoskins interacts with cartoons and they drew like a, like a cartoon head on his face and they cut it out for other reasons. It doesn't make any sense, but it looks amazing. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that too. Yeah. 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 There's really, like, a lack of of uh, unbelievable spontaneity, I guess. Like, everything is believable to the point where the most random things that happen are still believable. And um, mm -hmm. they're, they're all, they all kind of contribute to the plot. And the plot is pretty believable. I mean, it's kind of got, you know, the standard parts to it. But, I mean, it's got, you know, some some little twists here and there. And, you know, the, the Acme thing at the end was, was one of the bigger ones. Yes. Um, but yeah, and I think towards the beginning, uh, the humans were interacting with all of the the tune stuff, um, kind of in background shots, not on focus. But that yeah, might be, I think yeah. besides that beginning sequence and towards the end are the only two times I think for that. Um, so yeah, uh, I want to talk about the uh, the audience and who this was intended for. Um, so the first oh. test audience <laughs> apparently was mostly eighteen and nineteen year olds who absolutely hated it, and almost the the entire audience left. Really? Uh, which, yeah. 
And um, Robert Zemeckis, who had, who had the final cut, said he was not changing a single thing. God bless him. I love you. Yes. I love Bob. Well, I, I mean, I I loved Bob. You know, he used to be, you know, Robert Zemeckis, but now he makes a welcome to Marwind. <laughs> And, but yeah, despite yeah, oh. I just wanted to mention while I'm thinking about Bob Zemeckis is sure, sure, yeah. like this movie, like I think what made him such a great director back then was restraint. Mm-hmm. He mm. like he goes like I said he goes with these movements with the camera that like make it feel like a movie, but it doesn't go further than that. And as soon as he got the tool of a digital camera that's just, like, in a 3D animation software that can go everywhere, it just, Mm -hmm. every shot just starts to mean nothing. He does very well with the tactile reality of filmmaking. And that combined with the... So, I guess, adding that layer of animation with the limits it has, that is, like, kind of the peak of what he does because he's great with effects as well and you know two unlimited of uh tools is just does not mix with bob zemeckis at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a layman i agree um now <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was gonna say how how do you think that this is a family movie despite the dark scenes yes. and suggestive themes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and do you think there's enough to keep children and adults interested absolutely yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'm willing to wait and hear what you guys say, because I think I, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'd say I'd have a... I, I think yes. Um, but I feel like I appreciated this much more than I would have if the first time I saw it was when I was, like, seven years old. Like, I, I just think you naturally are going to pick up on more of the jokes uh, the, more, the, the older you are as an audience member. So, you know, I think it's... It's reasonably appropriate for for a family, but I I find it more enjoyable and and more you can experience it on more levels the more you understand it I guess. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different definitions of a family movie, but I think one way to define a family movie is a movie that upon repeated view, viewings it keeps on giving. Uh, so when you watch it at one yeah. stage with your family, you appreciate it in one way, and then when you watch it again, you appreciate it another, and then again you appreciate it in a different way and you you start to get a little bit more of it each time i think there's definitely things to appreciate here for a a seven-year-old i think we've got that slapstick cartoon violence uh the the dueling piano scene with daffy and donald duck comes specifically to mind that was a a scene that i think perfectly recalls like looney tunes cartoons and has that same appeal masterful um yeah the, the the scene where uh Bugs Bunny and, and, and Mickey Mouse are parachuting with Bob Hoskins there. I think that'd be funny to a seven-year-old as well. But then I think when you get a little older, you start to appreciate maybe some of the uh, more complicated aspects of the plot. And even older, you're going to appreciate kind of the noir influence, things here that are influenced maybe by like Chinatown and, and the Maltese Falcon and these earlier kind of shadowy detective films. So I think if you are going to just... I think this totally works as a family movie because you can... It, it will work for everybody in the family at a different stage in at a different stage in the family in their life, I think. Yeah, I experienced exactly what you just described when I watched this recently because the most recent time I watched it with, was with, like, director's commentary or something, so I didn't remember all, like, the little innuendos. And I feel like those are so well-crafted for a family movie because so many times as a kid I'd watch, like, these family movies and they'll just, like, 
straight up like talk about sex in details that I'm like as a kid like uh but like there's innuendos <laughs> in this movie are fantastic like the, when uh Jessica Rabbit is like she comes into Eddie's office and is just like seducing him and using all of these like Freudian like calls to imagery of like you know <laughs> erections and whatever but it's 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 so subtle that like when I was a kid that never like crossed my mind it never made me uncomfortable and my parents never were had a problem with it but every time I watch it it's like oh that's a new thing and as for the kids stuff of I feel like all of it's great like you know it's pretty serious to have the main character's brother die but uh you know the line that reveals that it was that he dropped a piano on the head of his brother <laughs> is that's so funny as an adult and that might not hit a kid so like a lot of it just hits a different person a different way so it's really great for audience reaction i feel it it gets different things out of different people but it definitely should get a reaction and 18 and 19 year olds the absolute worst people you could ever ask the opinion of for anything. They hate everything. Yeah. What? Well, whose decision? Come on, come on, Disney. That was yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with all y'all. I I uh, I think this is definitely a family film. Um, I I've like read other reviews, and there's even more themes that I just did not pick up on at all. That could either could be like you know, maybe like a, like a individual interpretation thing, or I don't know if it was like a direct reference or something like that. Um, I know there's like obvious things like the alcoholism's the biggest probably thing. And then Jessica <laughs> rabbit being a thing that exists is another thing. But, um, the, the, the actual club is like, is, is racist towards tunes and it only has them as employees and performers. Yeah. Which is literally reminiscent of the forties, um, racism hmm. in America. Huh. So um, it's clever. I never even, yeah, I never yeah. even thought about that. Um, yeah. And I think that's great. I think it lends to historical accuracy um, and it lends towards the times. And it also helps develop like the tunes as like a, as, as kind of not, I guess I don't want to say a race, but like, you know, like a, a group <laughs> that is oppressed uh, um, yes. by humans <laughs> um, and by, by Corpo and the government. <laughs> I, and uh, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, and I also think like I think people forget how um, mature cartoons used to be. Like we're kind of yeah. we've kind of gotten everything softened over time, but like you know those Looney Tunes cartoons, they're pretty violent. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's stuff that kids need to process, and I feel like that's for the best. I mean, you shouldn't condescend your audience just because they're younger. Yeah, for sure. And there's, I mean, there's pretty much nothing in this film that's, like, directly risque to the point where a child can see it, in my opinion. Well, um, not anymore. Unless, they unless... took out the frame of the upskirt for oh, Jessica right. Rabbit. Oh, right, yeah, I saw about that. I think oh, they went through a lot of lengths to get rid of that, didn't they? That, that, would, that would take <laughs> a lot, so yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I didn't have any formal questions left, but I wanted oh. to ask, what was your favorite tune? <laughs> Well, oh dear, this is a trap, Mitchell. This is a trap <laughs> set for me. I, I might be cheating here a little bit, but I really love uh, Judge Doom, who is a tune. Yes. So I, I think I can get away with this. I, I think I love Christopher Lloyd's performance yes. as both Human Doom and or Human Doom 
and Toon Doom, um, because I think he's so... He has this kind of, like, restrained, imposing demeanor as, as a Toon disguised as a human, but you always feel that there's something kind of off about him, and he is suitably extreme in his features and, and his expressions, and he has the, the unusual teeth um, that, that yeah. constantly mean you're kind of on edge. And then later, when it's revealed that he is a Toon, he, he just goes totally over the top, to totally nuts in, in the way that he speaks. I think his eyes are incredibly expressive, uh, despite the fact that we don't really see much of the rest of him as a Toon, uh, which I think may be kind of a missed opportunity, but I think it works within the context of the scene. And I also think the way he moves in those final scenes where he's kind of just walking along very slowly and he lets kind of his toon appendages, whether it be an anvil or a saw, kind of do all the work for him. I think that's really threatening and a really interesting way to block a human cartoon hybrid character in a scene. So, so Judge Doom for me. All right. I'm not going next. I, I... <laughs> okay, that's fair. All right. <laughs> Yeah, um, are we talking original tunes or are we talking like all of them? Mm, I would, I would say all of them, honestly. Yeah, um, I don't know. I kind of it's hard because I love all of them. It's like because it's really a good choice to have Richard Williams like take over so much of this, and the character designs are very much in his style. If you're familiar with it, because it contrasts like the disney and the looney tunes styles so like they feel separate but also they all fit together in the same universe but i mean they're all so fun i really like uh i just like the um the the guns the gun bullets are really fun yeah. as mentioned before i like the the shoes that judge doom is using mm. to demonstrate the dip those are mm -hmm. like I, I like the cartoonishness and i guess along those lines probably my favorite is uh benny the cab is a great mm -hmm. cartoon character like just a you know jerk new york cab and the his tires are so weird and floppy and he does a <laughs> bunch of weird stuff it's he's very fun i always liked him a lot as a kid yeah yeah all right christian you ready all right, yeah. So if I really, if I want to get hated on, the honest answer is probably Donald Duck. I'm just partial to that character. It's good. A bit. All right. But yeah. um, I, I'll also say um, I think Jessica Rabbit is is genuinely a really good character. Mm -hmm. Like going into yes. this, I was I was really <laughs> kind of worried, but uh, I think she totally embodies this sort of femme fatale uh, mold that comes with the film noir, and you know she becomes more important to the plot and and gains much more agency by the end of the movie so i think there there are character beats there and um she definitely is sort of like more than just the way that they draw her i guess so yeah. points to that <laughs> I, I would also comment like I, I totally agree with you that i think her character and her appearance are incorporated into the film in a really intelligent way that is significant to the story um and there's there's later films in a similar vein that would try to do that kind of thing I hate to get down on Ralph Bakshi, but Hollywood and Cool World tried to go for that Jessica Rabbit thing, and it just it, it doesn't work because the script isn't there, and all they have is, oh, it's this this crazy attractive cartoon woman, and they have nothing else to her character. Whereas I think here, she's character first, and then and, and then design comes with that character as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm torn between Benny the Cab and Jessica Rabbit, honestly. Um, 
I feel like uh, they, they really give a lot of... Okay, they give Jessica Rabbit a lot of dimension as a character. And I think yeah. she has a lot of very important characters. On the Z-axis. Yeah. Front and back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yep, femme fatale, exactly. Like Christian said, I think she plays that perfectly. Um, I think her being with uh, Roger is hilarious in and of itself. Um, the patty cake, uh, you know, <laughs> reference, all of that. Like, like it's so self-aware. That's really the best way you can play your character is, is to play it like everybody knows and, and they, they just make fun of it. And I love that a lot. And then Benny the Cab is resourceful. He's got great one-liners. Um, and you know, he's very useful to the plot as well. So those are my two favorite tunes. I I love when his, uh, tires get blown out by the, uh, by the dip and he's just like limping (laughs) around. It's such a funny visual to see a car on. And then gets in another car and starts driving that (laughs) car. (laughs) I think my favorite joke in the whole movie is, is right after you actually hear them saying patty cake, the photos are actually just them playing <laughs> yeah. patty cake. Yeah. That, that gets yeah. me every time. Yeah. yeah, that's the innuendo at work. Like, as a kid, like, I did, it was like, what's a patty cake? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm also very partial to the singing sword. The oh, singing sword oh really Frank Sinatra. I love and that. I didn't expect it. Because this movie, I don't tend to laugh, like, out loud that much at movies. Um, and I, I chuckled quite a bit during this film, but the singing sword really made me laugh, and I was not expecting it at all. I just love the reference to the old cartoons, man. It's like mm-hmm. Daffy and Donald scene together is so great because uh, they wanted to do justice to these characters. Who doesn't love those characters? They're like the best of all time, and like you don't see those uh, weird Looney Tunes impressions of like celebrities anymore. And those are like some of my favorite bits from those cartoons, like Peter Lorre and like Groucho Marx caricatures. And that, yeah, that, that, um, the Frank Sinatra one is so fun. And I, he, he, I love the snaky movements that he does. It's, it's what a good yeah. gag. Yeah. yeah. And then they like reference all of the, the, the tunes as actual actors. So Rogers reacting to Goofy saying how awesome he is and how great of like a performer and like he's you know a classic and, and things like that and just those little bits in there are always really cool to watch especially as an as an older boy um and but they, are there any other final thought what are you gonna say dylan and they work for peanuts <laughs> and they work for peanuts I, but i don't <laughs> i i just i love the line that he has dumbo on loan from disney because that's like, not only is that, like, a, a joke that he got him from Disney, but, like, that's also kind of a reflection on how, like, classic studio politics worked. Yes. Yeah. And they had yeah. to, like, rent mm-hmm. actors from other studios because they were contracted to them. So, yeah, yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like, it has those animated characters, but, like, the relationships that they have with the human beings and, and the way they function within the story is all based on reality, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other final thoughts? Well, while we're here uh, and while we have time, I did want to comment that I really enjoy uh, the portrayal of, of Toontown in the film as well. Yeah. Um, mm. We only see it briefly, but I think that, that while we're driving into Toontown, it really does feel like like a classic 30s or 40s car- uh, cartoon. Because when they were kind of first, when, when 
animation was first starting to become like a bigger thing that appealed more widely to the masses like you get this thing where everything has a face and everything is bouncing around and constantly moving and and i think everything in toontown has that quality the trees are constantly dancing around and hugging each other <laughs> and the sun has a face and all the flowers sing as well and i i think it just it's another thing like mitchell mentioned that reflects upon the time period that the sort of noir story is taking place in yeah, I love the song that they sing in Toontown. It's wonderful. Um, I, I guess I want to take my uh, a little soapbox stand here as um, a guy with the physical media podcast. But um, Disney needs to get over their fear of uh, people having copies of their movies. Yeah. Because this needs to be remastered in 4K. Like, I'm all about uh, restorations and, like, whatever technology allows that this point in time because there's nothing like a digital restoration and it's so important yeah. to have these and there is a 4k restoration but it's only on disney plus and oh. what a load of crap that is and because <laughs> like, specifically what i like to see with these uh preservations and restoration efforts is movies like this that um you know nothing is ever going to be done like that before like again i rather because mm -hmm. hand Cell animation is like dead. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. But and all of those things should be restored in the highest quality possible. But on top of that, this is a combination of cell animation and uh and film that we're not going to see again. And I want to see every single little grain of film that there is in the highest possible quality and Disney stop it. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's just completely evil what they're doing and it just sucks that they are the ones that have the rights to this movie because yeah. like warner brothers would do well by it or universal anyone else but disney just absolutely hates physical media and we talk about that a lot on bargain binge so mm -hmm. yeah. get over it disney please it's a real shame like all of their original disney plus stuff like none of it is has any plans for a physical release yep. in any yeah, any form at all ever yeah. which just really sucks but yeah the quality just oh, well. isn't there just streaming it's just you know there's limitations to what yeah. can be it's inherently less consistent yeah, yeah. Yep. exactly and this is a pretty good blu-ray but like I, i'm making the disc noises because that uh that's part of my <laughs> podcast you should have it too but um <laughs> like the like the low lights are like crunched like blu-ray is not the peak of it so we just mm -hmm. more and I don't know, because because what we might never get like the Fox classic movies in 4K if this keeps continuing. Like there's been like rumors of everything, but like you know all the classics in that catalog might be lost to being permanently only in high quality on the internet, which isn't actually yeah. high quality. Oof. Yep. Yeah. That's a rip. sad. I want to see every pore <laughs> on Bob Hoskins' face when he says tones. Yeah. <laughs> I want those pores. Yes. <laughs> I want those pores. <sighs> All right. Well, now we move on to the old bit, the rundown. <laughs> This is a, an enduring segment from our earliest days wherein we quiz Zach with um, people, places, things, and whatnot from the film we've just discussed. And Zach will respond with a arbitrary quick rating out of five. Um, <laughs> just so we're clear, it's going to go uh, Mitchell, then right. me, then Dylan, repeat. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Is everyone ready? Certainly. Yes. Um, okay. I'm ready, Coach. Three, two, one. 
Go. Tobacco depictions. Three out of five. Baby Herman. Uh, four out of five. L.A. Public Transit. Three out of five. R.K. Maroon. Uh, three out of five. Patty Cake. Four out of five. Seeing birds instead of stars. Uh, four out of five. Future Zach Garrigus as Eddie Valiant. Four out of five. Weasels. Uh, four out of five. Death by Falling Piano. Uh, three out of five. Monk Bouncer. Three out of five. Bob Hoskins as Valiant. Oh, four out of five. Benny the Cab. Uh, four out of five. Jessica Rabbit existing. Uh, three out of five. Looney Tunes and Disney Animation in the same movie. Uh, four out of five. Laughing oneself to death. Uh, three out of five. Baking Roger a carrot cake. Uh, three out of five. Just being drawn that way. Four out of five. Sinatra sword. Uh, four out of five. Ooga booga. Three out of five. <laughs> this lever, stupid. Three out of five. A speakeasy, a gin mill, a hooch parlor. Three out of five. One Off second. Christopher Lloyd. Ah, time. Uh, f- oh, okay. <laughs> oh, nope, well, I guess we'll come know. back to... So sad. Okay, that brought well. up the weasels. I think the weasels are my favorite cartoons in the movie. I, oh, I yeah, love the weasels. The weasels. Are... Oh. Yeah. They are great, yeah. Yeah. I, I do like... I like the weasels, and that also it also brought up the speakeasy. I, I really like the gag in the speakeasy that um, Roger can't help but respond to um, a shave and a haircut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's such a ridiculous concept, but it's like uh-huh. it's it's treated like the beginning of Inglorious Bastards or something, where it's like, <laughs> I will find him. And it's like, it's totally serious. It's tense. He's like shaking behind the wall. It's, it's yeah, directed totally. Yeah. It plays it totally straight and therefore it's hilarious i love his yeah. eyes poking through the the peepholes <laughs> and yeah. knocking over something that gets me every single time <laughs> uh, evidently this movie's more than a three out of five yeah yeah, yeah. i'm guilty get out of here <laughs> I'll gonna update myself. it all right well this has been cookie pocket Oh, wait, I always do this. Oh, you always God. do this, Mitchell. <laughs> oh, my God. Who I have to preview our next episode, which is next episode. Beautiful Girls, a 90s rom-com starring a pretty massive ensemble, including Timothy Hutton, Uma Thurman, Natalie Portman, Matt Dillon, and several, several others. Um, it takes place in a small town. And it's this group of uh, high school grads coming back for a reunion, and some of them are kind of at a strange junction in their lives. It's both coming of age and not it's both happy and sad and i think there's a lot to it and i look forward to discussing it and dylan uh before we leave is there anything you'd like to plug yeah so uh i do the bargain binge podcast with uh my friends aaron and evan and we do it every week we have a bi-weekly schedule where our main show is we review movies Based on the disc that they're on, we pull them from a bargain bin at Walmart randomly and then review the disc's whole contents. And then we have a secondary show where we just talk about whatever. Uh, We have episodes that come out every Wednesday. If you want a good jumping off point to get into the show, we have this episode on the movie Barney's Great Adventure with our friend Wyatt that we're pretty proud of. But this week... Should be coming out on the normal Wednesday. We have an episode talking about the Ewoks movies from the 80s with our friends, the Lady Lorians. And you can find all of our stuff at bargainbingepod.com. And, um, you know, usually it, when I'm on a podcast, I say a lot more swear words. I did this for Zach. <laughs> so uh, if you're sensitive to that, you know, be cautious. But, um, you know, I think it's a good podcast. And uh, 
you know, I know all of the people in this call have listened to it extensively and would agree with me, huh? <laughs> Most definitely. Oh, I, I saw vouch. the logo and I listened to five seconds of the Space Jam one. Every I, time. I will vouch Bargain Bin's a, a good deal of fun. Uh, okay. It's a different tone to, to Cookie Pocket, but you need some variety in your in your podcasting diet. So. All right. Yeah. Here's yeah. one for you, Zach. High school. <laughs> High school. Ah, he has the censor. Oh, oh no, no. two censors. Oh, what am I school. gonna do? <laughs> All right. That. Thank you very much, Dylan, for coming. This has been a boat. Well, thank fun. you for having me. Uh, this yeah. is the best movie ever. I'm glad to talk about it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> this has been Cookie Pocket. This podcast is about film. Episode forty-nine. Oh. Wow. We're coming up on fifty soon. Uh, and we'll see y'all next time. Au revoir. Adios. Thank you.